Good afternoon, everyone. Wonderful. We have a wonderful audience uh, this afternoon, and we're ready for a fantastic conversation with Her Excellency, Excellency Tina Tin Kedeshelli, the Minister of Defense from Georgia. And I'm going to use my American familiarity, because Tina and I have known each other for quite some time, and use your first name, Madam Minister, if that's OK. Um, this, is a, this is a special treat, and it comes at a special moment. Um, the minister is the first woman to serve as Minister of Defense of Georgia. We applaud you for breaking that glass ceiling. We're hoping that the United States does that sometime in our future. Uh, but before serving as Minister of Defense, um, you have been a stalwart member of parliament. You served as the uh, chair of the Parliament Committee for European Integration. So to say you are a transatlanticist and a Europeanist is an understatement. But before she began her career in politics, Tina was a human rights lawyer. And she worked for uh, victims of violence, uh, torture, uh, defending religious minorities. Uh, she's worked with NGOs. And I think that's your approach to most things, equality, and yep. fighting for that equality. What I'm actually so excited about this afternoon, we've discarded the podium. We've discarded the formal comments. We just want to get into a conversation on, a, on an important issue. And uh, so before uh, I, we start our questions, let me begin by saying welcome. We're so delighted to have you here at CSIS. We welcome our audience. And before I, we start our questions, just uh, if you'd like to say some opening comments, and then we'll, we'll begin. Welcome. Um, <clears throat> thank you, Hirar. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity. It's, uh, it's really honor for me. I've been uh, coming to uh, CSIS for so long in so many different capacities, as you've already mentioned, more as a human rights lawyer than after that. But uh, it's, it's a really uh, great honor for me to be here today with you and uh, share with you all the uh, issues, challenges, uh, problems, uh, successes that uh, are on everybody's mind today in Georgia. And I believe that uh, concerns and uh, um, uh, challenges that we are facing are not exclusive to Georgia, and uh, they are they became somehow relevant for the for everybody and for the rest of the world, even on this continent, uh, being so far away from here. Uh, I just uh, just for start wanted to say thank you once again, and uh, thank you for your time to everybody who is interested in these issues and uh, showed up today to listen to this conversation. And um, as you've said, um, you've. Um, we said no to the podium because I think it makes much more sense to, to get engaged into the conversation rather than me giving a long speech here about the issues that I'm interested in or uh, I feel are important for, for the audience to hear. It will be more interesting and more uh, important for me to respond to questions and the issues that you feel are important and need to be addressed today. Fantastic. Well, I have a long series of questions. And then when I'm done with my questions, we want to invite the audience in and, and welcome your participation. I think to, to, to try to provide a little organizational structure to my questions, I'm going to start with Georgia itself and then sort of build out in concentric circles to talk about uh, the region and then ultimately the transatlantic dynamics. But. Um, let me let, let's talk a little bit about what reforms Georgia domestically is undertaking. You, of course, are in charge of the dossier on defense reform. So please, we'd, we'd love to hear what your thinking has been on, on focusing on that reform. But I think there's a lot of questions here in Washington on the broader 
uh, set of reforms. The government has recently introduced a new human rights strategy, which I'm sure has your fingerprints all over it, a uh, new anti-discrimination uh, set of laws. But there's also been some questions about media freedoms, rule of law. Can you help our audience understand where Georgia is and progressing on all of those important reforms? Uh, sure. Uh, well, first of all, as you've said, um, today for the last seven months, I, I'm a Minister of Defense. That means that uh, uh, the uh, reforms at the ministry and the reforms in the security uh, field, generally, more generally speaking, are my daily activities, and this is something I, I know the best at this very moment. But um, uh, because I was member of parliament before that for, uh, for almost three years, and uh, um, human rights lawyer by background and working as a democracy activist, I, I, I would say more generally for 20 years, um, the entire spectrum of the, of the reforms in, for rule of law and for more democratic Georgia, modernized Georgia. Uh, obviously are the issues that are um, even today, uh, uh, even being Minister of Defense are uh, my, um, uh, my daily concern and uh, I'm trying to, to have as much time devoted to other issues as I can. Uh, within the Ministry of Defense, there has been a long agenda of the reforms for the last years and uh, we moved from, after the elections in 2012, uh, there was a dramatic change in the entire system. Uh, from an institution that was seen as a, uh, well, which is kind of a characterization of the military force that it should be uh, vertical based, uh, the order based, uh, but still we live in a, in, a, in a 21st century, in a democratic world, we want to be part of NATO, we want to be part of European Union, we want to be part of the democratic um, community of states, and by that, uh, the Ministry of Defense and Military Force should not be excluded from that, uh, that list of democracy, uh, democratic decision making. So we've been trying for these three years after the elections to modernize the decision making process within the military to separate the civilian and uh, uh, military parts of the ministry as much as possible to have uh, those blurred uh, lines in between as clear as possible so everybody knows where the um, intervention from either side ends and where it is necessary to go together uh, for people like me, civilians and, uh, and guys in uniforms uh, while making decisions about the critical issues for the country. We've been uh, working uh, on the, uh, seriously on the uh, budgetary issues because uh, uh, for a country like Georgia, obviously most of the budget is still uh, social. It's still about the uh, projects that you do for uh, uh, being it in healthcare or uh, pensions or other social affairs. Um, uh, and that was reflected in different ministries, including the Ministry of Defense. So for this year, uh, we've tried to get as much um, uh, money assigned for the development, for the training, for actual um, uh, activities uh, as possible from the budget and to make an equal uh, division of, of resources available to us between the two, between the social budget and the uh, development uh, infrastructure building, the uh, reforms um, uh, within the ministry and within the, uh, within the for military force itself. The, um, uh, there has been, a, uh, but if you go, if you go broader uh, to, to the reforms that have been implemented by, by Georgia, Probably the most recent, we start with the very last decision that was, take, that was taken by the parliament and 
for the first time after 25 years of independence, we have elected the prosecutor general. It never happened before. We always had prosecutor's office as a part of executive, uh, part of the Ministry of Justice. Uh, for a while, um, uh, Minister of Justice was at the same time the chief prosecutor. Uh, after three years of uh, changing legislation, um, the entire process has ended last week in Parliament when there was a long uh, procedure of, uh, long democratic procedure of this election, and finally we ended up with the Parliament elected. Uh, general prosecutor accountable to the parliament and uh, uh, taking that very uh, politicized institution on a completely different level of independence and accountability than you can, that you can get in a country like Georgia. Um, uh, that was, as I've said, very last decision uh, that we are very proud of and we've been um, trying to, to achieve for a long time. Um, we are... Um, there has been a, uh, there have been several waves of uh, reforms uh, for the uh, for the independence of judiciary, keeping with the standards uh, set out uh, for us by the uh, Venice Commission for Democracy uh, and various international organizations. We've been trying to follow step by step all those recommendations over the years. Georgia was getting um, the. Um, uh, we need to keep in mind where we come from. Uh, and uh, again, I can, I can uh, speak for my organ, for the ministry I'm heading today, that, um, for example, we are doing a huge reform of the military police today. Uh, we are not there yet, it's not over yet, but we are trying our best to speed up the process and to be ahead of all the deadlines and schedules that we had before. Why it was necessary? Well, for many obvious reasons, but one of them being the fact that uh, military police was always seen with the previous government as the main instrument of, uh, uh, of torture, as main instrument of mistreatment, as main instrument, main place where all those bad things were happening that Georgia was not necessarily proud of and was criticized over the years. So dramatic reform of the institution was necessary for the perception, for breaking this perception of a place where all wrong things are happening, and as well as for the institutional, more stronger, more transparent, more accountable institutional setup of the institution. So across the board, you have those challenges together. When there is a real need for the reform, institutional reform, but sometimes you get across the situation when there is not really need for an institutional reform because by the law everything is perfectly fine. But because of the perceptions, you need to do something dramatically different to change that perception and to break that uh, perception of, um, uh, of uh, wrongdoings in that institution. So then you need to become innovative and create something that's, uh, that is different from the, from the setup that already exists there. Uh, I know that there have been questions about, and you have mentioned it, about the media freedom in Georgia. Again, uh, depends on how we look at things. First of all, we come from the country. We are three years ago, every single, uh, every single uh, national, nationwide media station was run by one political party. Literally speaking, every single one of them. There was no TV station, no um, nationwide media outlet in a country that was independent of uh, the uh, uh, ruling political party. And I'm not even talking about independence from anything else, but it was uh, run entirely by the, uh, by the um, political party that was in power. So coming from that background, uh, if there is anything I'm personally uh, proud of being um, 
again, uh, due to my background, that will be a huge improvement into the media freedom in a country where now you have everything. Unfortunately, including Russian propaganda machinery also gaining strength in Georgian media. But that's also uh, part of that democratic principle and setup that we have created and we've offered to our society, saying that you can hear any word. Any word is protected in Georgia. Freedom of speech is protected and is uh, a highest value in a country, regardless of the fact whether we like that speech or not, whether we feel that it threatens the almost the security uh, setup of a country, but uh, again, as long as it fits within the freedom of speech and freedom of expression, there will be no impediments creating, uh, created on that way. Uh, but the, uh, the issue of uh, some of the media outlets in Georgia is pretty complicated, and it's very nuanced. And if you do not know the reality, if you have never heard of Georgia before, about the media situation in Georgia, about the changing ownership environment in the country over the years. If you don't know that, for example, one of the TV channels that is most popular today um, in criticizing Georgia's democratic reforms um, was run by my predecessors, every other minister of defense in the country, then uh, yes, it sounds or it looks ugly today. There, there is a court case against the TV station and uh, some observers might have an idea that uh, government is running uh, after that TV station, and this is why the case ended up in a court. But at the same time, um, uh, if you know a little bit of Georgia, then I'm pretty sure that nobody who, who knows the story of that particular TV company, as well as any other TV company in a country that existed before the 2012 elections, um, then there won't be questions raised. Uh, and the only question will be uh, the, the questions that I also have about the transparency, maximum transparency of the uh, case, of the proceedings in the court, so there everybody knows what is going on and everybody is aware of the procedure and everybody is aware of the um, details of the case as much as they are uh, available for public. Um, we, uh, um, as I've said, the, one of the top priorities, you've mentioned the Human Rights Action Plan, uh, which was passed by the parliament, approved by the parliament and passed by the government before that, uh, that is renewed every year uh, with only one idea, to have as much progress as possible um, written in there with concrete deadlines, concrete benchmarks, very concrete actions to be carried out in order to achieve the state of affairs in Georgia when there will be no uh, observers um, uh, ever uh, questioning the democratic nature of the uh, of the state affairs in, in my country and that there will be no objective observers ever saying whether we deserve to be um, members of the international community of democratic states, uh, being it European Union or NATO or any other setup for that matter uh, where Georgia claims to, uh, to be part of as, uh, sooner than later and to be, to be integrated into. That's the general idea, that's the purpose of this exercise that we are all involved in, that we need reforms ourselves for strengthening our state, but at the same, to prove, at the same time to prove to everybody that this is a normal, uh, typical European democracy. We are things sometimes go wrong, but there are institutions working and addressing those issues. We are government representatives make mistakes or even commit crimes, as in every other state in the world, but institutions are working. There is a court that is independent, there is media that is independent and talks about those abuses if they are happening. Uh, there is an accountability before the parliament and everybody 
serves its purpose and works in an institutional, democratic institutional setup as it happens in other countries of, of the uh, European Union, United States, and other democracies all over the world. Thank you so much. Uh, turning, sort of leading into it, uh, the question of Russian influence. We've certainly been thinking about, studying, understanding uh, what are the levers of Russian influence within Europe, within Georgia, uh, whether that's through uh, social media, uh, uh, media in general, whether that's economics, whether that's energy. If you could sort of describe for us what that looks like on a day-to-day -day basis. And then I would love if you would offer some thoughts. In some ways, we've lost a little bit of track of what's going on with the, the Geneva process. Uh, and we've certainly seen over the last several months where uh, you know, the integration uh, between Russia and Abkhazia and South Ossetia has tightened. Borders have been pushed farther over the last several months and would love your description of where that process is and what the government's approach is to that. Um, Russian influence. We can talk about this issue uh, in two parallel ways. Um, one, uh, the uh, every Georgian, uh, however Georgian sees Russia and is influenced by Russia on a daily basis. The best and shortest answer to this question will be if you if your job uh, gets you to the main highway, then it's there. You drive by main highway and there are Russian tanks on a visible distance and there are Russian soldiers on a visible distance and there are Russian flags waving out there. So that's the influence they have on Georgians. So the live occupation is there, um, making its own case. Uh, on the other hand, you have a, a propaganda machinery working um, in Georgia, trying to be as influential as in many other countries in Europe. Um, you have uh, NGOs mushrooming uh, for the last uh, two years, I would say year and a half. More and more people uh, showing up on TV um, speaking for the, um, uh, for the um, speaking the language that normally uh, was not heard in Georgia before that. Um, you have political parties running on uh, pro-Russian ticket now, which was not the case before. Actually, it started in 2010. That was the first year when we've got a political party who officially, openly um, spoke about something else than what every other political <laughs> party normally usually talked in Georgia before that. That was actually a very interesting year because we had um, the, well, uh, Georgia is a kind of a state where you have a trio of uh, main um, political um, uh, heads of institutions running the country. That is the president, prime minister, and speaker of parliament. And then in 2010, uh, we ended up with, uh, well, the president staying in power. Sarkashvili was still the president of the country. And two others, his prime minister and his chair of parliament creating their own parties and running on Russian ticket on the very first elections they went into opposition to, to Saakashvili, which kind of brought lots of questions and arguments in a society that uh, if you were so much anti-Kremlin and if you were so much pro-Western, then how does it happen that two out of three appears to be the most uh, um, uh, pro-Russian politicians in a country? 
This is how it started in 2010 with the local elections. And then after that, you hear, um, uh, the, uh, you, you hear more and more voices um, on that front. But uh, the good news is that, uh, or bad news at the same time, is that ongoing occupation and daily activity of uh, Russian troops um, on ABL as well as uh, in occupied territories, as well as rhetorics of the Kremlin towards Georgia, does not help this cause. And uh, Georgia is a country where um, uh, the Russian aggression and occupation is not part of the history books. This is not something you learn in schools. This is something we, my generation, experienced live on ourselves. We, the sacrifices are there in our own families, in our immediate families. Uh, our brothers, fathers, the uh, uh, cousins have died in these uh, wars for these last 25 years with NATO and European Union flags in their hands uh, fighting the uh, Russian occupation. Uh, so uh, as uh, tragic as the stories are, this is also good news in terms of Russian pro propaganda having no chance in Georgia to survive because it is nothing can be convincing uh, when you have uh, your family member uh, killed yesterday in a war by the soldiers who are telling you today that they will be helping Georgia's cause of development. It does not work like that. So yes, as much as Russian propaganda machinery is trying to uh, to be effectively working in Georgia, there are very natural impediments to it. And those Russian flags waving uh, along the main highway also serve this, uh, uh, this purpose of uh, Georgians constantly being reminded of, uh, of the ongoing occupation. Uh, the um, um, relations at this moment are in a um, uh, safe mode, <laughs> kind of. Uh, you don't really have that much of an activity going on. You don't have that much of an aggression going on. Uh, here and there, we, we have uh, people kidnapped, but uh, released uh, in a couple of hours uh, uh, after paying uh, whatever administrative fines they have in South Ossetia for violating the border of an independent state. Um, uh, but obviously, um, it is pretty clear that uh, the Kremlin is preoccupied by so many other issues that uh, uh, this um, uh, uh, stage of um, calm uh, or more less aggressive um, um, activities is, under, is explainable by, by that. Uh, although on, an, uh, on so many different uh, international forums and so many different occasions, obviously we, we see that. It's like an elephant in a room that nobody talks about, but it's always there. It's present in all the discussions, all the decision making, and you always know that. You always feel this constant pressure on our partners and uh, um, on the decision making process whenever it comes to Georgia's integration, whenever it comes to Georgia's to, to, to final decisions to be made about Georgia. Then you know that they are there and they are active and they are working hard and they are doing their best in order to prevent that from happening. Um, this is kind of relationship that we have today. Um, as for Geneva, um, um, I'm probably not the best person to, to talk about it because I'm not aware of uh, details of, of it, but what I can say for sure is that uh, Georgia uh, um, is trying its best to have um, 
uh, to be as proactive as possible to come up with uh, uh, proposals for um, uh, changing the mood, changing the attitudes, changing the whole setup of this format in a way of um, no decisions ever being delivered there. But unfortunately, if you are the only one, only adult in a room, then you don't really get the uh, results that you want to get. And unfortunately, that's the case with, uh, with, with the parties uh, who are in charge of, uh, of making decisions. Uh, but it stays as the only format of our international engagement with, um, with Russia and uh, on many different issues, including security, obviously, and first of all, security. That's why it's an extremely valuable format for us because we believe that one day it's going to work when the circumstances and uh, the geopolitical um, situation will allow for it. But at this moment, it's kind of in a frozen phase. When, uh, when we meet, we talk. Sometimes don't even talk because some people keep walking out from the room constantly. Uh, but, but we'll see. That's, uh, that does not depend on Georgia or on, on any other party particularly. Um, what will be the results and outcomes from the Geneva Forum. When we first met, uh, you were part of a broader conference that we were holding on the future of Europe. And this was right at the time the, at the formal announcement of the formal annexation of mm -hmm. Crimea after the President Putin's uh, yep. speech to the Federation Council. And you said very clearly um, that uh, more states would be next. Um, I'm wondering a year and a half after the March 14th annexation of obviously the instability in the Donbass. How do you view Ukraine? How do you view the Black Sea? We've seen now Russia bringing surface to air missiles, anti-ship cruise uh, missiles. We've certainly seen a, a more muscular military presence in the Black Sea. This has got to be of, of growing concern to Georgia. Just would welcome your, your reflections a year and a half after the annexation of Crimea. Yeah, well, uh, what we were saying, um, over the years, actually, not just um, after the annexation of Crimea, but more importantly, before all this whole adventure started against Ukraine, um, already in 2009, when uh, after the August war, the world got into this new phase of business as usual with Russia. That uh, if there will be, um, if Russia will not be facing a very concrete results out of the war, against independent states and occupation of the uh, territories of independent states, then uh, something bigger is going to be next. Um, we were not taken seriously at that time. We all remember the attitudes and moods in those rooms where we were talking about it. Unfortunately, it proved that we were right, and uh, Ukraine is obviously much bigger of a uh, challenge and um, much closer to Europe as well. Um, the um, understanding from our side after Crimea and the Donbas and all the developments up to now is that if Russia and if Kremlin is not stopped uh, there, uh, and if uh, Kremlin is not, uh, if it's not made very clear for Kremlin that uh, uh, those um, journeys into the independent states and the grabbing territories and uh, annexing or recognizing them as independent states. Uh, do not go away uh, unnoticed, and there are um, consequences from that. Then, uh, then that's what we were saying on that conference, uh, Georgian participants, and we keep saying after we kept saying after that, the next challenge is going to be much more painful for NATO, and that might be one of the NATO countries because Kremlin has done all of it. 
they've done with the closest and probably most loyal partner of NATO, with Georgia. They've done it with a very big, significant, important state in the middle of Europe. And the next challenge should be something more painful and more significant. And um, the, um, uh, the behavior in the Baltic Sea obviously does not give any optimism to anybody that uh, they entirely gave up their dreams about the Baltics as well. The only reason why Baltics are secure today, obviously, is the security network they are in, and Article 5 and NATO membership that gives them uh, uh, the confidence and that gives them security that they enjoy today. But again, uh, uh, if, uh, if uh, the um, uh, governments like um, we have today in Russia uh, starts to believe that they can get away with everything, that uh, they can get away with everything, and there might be a vicious thinking in Kremlin that uh, this everything includes um, uh, the Article 5 zone as well. And what we've seen in Turkey um, is probably one of the implications of that, that uh, in spite of uh, several calls and um, several uh, notifications on uh, and diplomatic exchange of uh, notes about uh, no fly-ins without authorization. They've kept doing it over and over again um, in an independent state and uh, member state of NATO. Um, and that, that, speaks, uh, that speaks a lot for the kind of attitude uh, Kremlin has towards uh, uh, the countries that they consider to be partners because, yes, there was a quite a strong partnership and quite a strong bond between Erdogan and Putin before. And we all remember those, uh, those uh, dialogues and discussions going on between the two countries. And we Georgians remember it even more than any other country probably because it's important for us, it matters for us, it affects us directly. Uh, we are, in this case, we keep saying that these things are happening around us, but in this case it is happening literally speaking, exactly around us, and we are right in the middle of it, uh, geographically speaking, but it happened. And it happened uh, exactly at the time when the uh, feelings were probably, and uh, the, uh, the, uh, the distance between, uh, feelings were the highest, and distance between <coughs> Russia and NATO were um, on, um, on the highest margins. We, uh, uh, Black Sea is becoming uh, probably today the uh, most important um, part of the uh, new security infrastructure that everybody talks about. For a while it has not been uh, seen right. as such. And for a while Black Sea was like a sea outside uh, the interest and the sea is somewhere out there far away, um, not really uh, uh, of a concern to anybody. Today, three NATO member countries uh, on the Black Sea, um, Russia gaining dominance and uh, Georgia in the middle of all of that, obviously is a primary concern for us and primary interest at the same time for us. And we see the increasing interest uh, from the NATO members and NATO itself uh, towards the Black Sea security. So Georgia says that uh, uh, we are part of it <laughs> and uh, we should be part of any new setup, any new um, institutional or security setup that will be uh, created for the Black Sea. Uh, because uh, regardless of being members or no members of NATO, this is uh, how the partnership works. 
and because of that, all the discussion that is going on right now, being it in Brussels or any other capital for that matter of NATO member states, uh, we are part of this whole discussion. We are invited there and we are participating in all those talks as a full-fledged member of that community, Plexi community, if we can call it this way, together with our Turkish uh, colleagues and Bulgarian and Romanian um, Romanian colleagues. It has we'll some similarities to the Baltic Sea with Sweden and Finland, uh, very close NATO partners. Absolutely, but, uh, and we, we do lots of experience sharing actually because exactly of that reason with uh, Nordic countries on how it worked initially with them before Balts were into NATO. Uh, and that might be the experience that we can use uh, towards Georgia in this case uh, when we talk about the Black Sea Let me turn, uh, before I turn to the audience, one last question. Last week's NATO foreign ministers meeting was historic, in fact, uh, inviting Montenegro to join the alliance as the 29th member. Um, and there was lots of focus and attention in that ministerial statement about Georgia. So I'd like your reflections uh, on that statement. What does it tell us as we look ahead to next year and the NATO Warsaw Summit? I, I think there's, for me, it's hard to understand all the language that was provided regarding Georgia, because I believe the Washington Treaty and Article 10 is very clear. It doesn't mention membership action plans. It just says the alliance can open its door for a European country if it's ready to assume those responsibilities. There's not attachments of all these uh, different mechanisms like MAP. Does MAP now represent not a, a path, but actually a roadblock to future membership for Georgia. And I think hearkening back on your comments that uh, you know, there's an elephant in the room. Was there an elephant in the room at the NATO foreign minister's meeting last week? Um, well, if there is anything optimistic that happened to, uh, for this last year, uh, probably that will be the NATO ministerial in Brussels last week. So that's why I want to believe that that was the occasion when elephant was not there. Because regardless of all the statements we've heard and regardless of all the opinions we've heard, uh, NATO finally took that decision and invited Montenegro. After 2009, uh, this promise was there. It was said many times, but it actually never happened. So um, regardless of whatever language was about Georgia, regardless of we are happy or not happy or disillusioned or whatever, it's still a huge progress and a huge step forward. Keeping in mind also that every other Minister of Foreign Affairs who walked out uh, from that room uh, while giving their comments was saying that next stop is Georgia. And it is pretty clear for everybody that uh, if there is a next stop, that next stop is Georgia. There is nothing in between Georgia and NATO anymore. No other countries lined up, no other um, um, setups necessary. And as you've absolutely rightly mentioned, even the map, is not an impediment in that way because at the end of the day, if there is a political decision, NATO can go with Article 10 without uh, disregarding all those arrangements that were made before. And we always use this example while talking about it to give more confidence to our statement that if tomorrow Sweden decides that they want to join NATO, uh, is, it, is MAP going to be offered to them as a step before joining or it will be directly taken uh, on board as a member state? And of course, the answer is obvious that there will be no map or any other arrangement for Sweden. They will be directly invited once they decide to do so. So if that's the case, then this whole post-Cold War arrangement with, with map that was created in a very particular time 
for very particular uh, countries with a very concrete goal in mind is very old fashioned today. And especially it's old fashioned regarding Georgia because we are beyond all those reasons why MAP was created from start. Uh, all those reforms are on and are there. All those instruments are already there and working for Georgia. Much more instruments than any other country ever had uh, who was uh, lined up for membership with NATO or has today out of those who, uh, who have MEP uh, as opposed to Georgia not having MEP. Um, the annual uh, national plan that is there for seven years now, NGC, that is uh, the, the NATO Georgia Commission that is working there. The SNGP, which is a package involving basically all the components of practical cooperation between the two, including the joining train, joint training center, that never was the case with any aspirant country before. And this list is very long, and I can go on with at least nine or ten other components and projects that we are actively involved in implementing together with NATO. Obviously gives a very special status to the entire Georgia-NATO relationship. Um, a map, yes, it might look as a road-blocking step at this moment, but I believe that one of the achievements of the ministerial from last week is also that uh, uh, the language that we have there today, which does not speak about the map being the next step anymore, is also a progress on that way. Mm. I agree with you, it's a very complicated language. This is language I don't understand. <laughs> I never understood the diplomatic language about <laughs> creating new sentences and new words and new, new things for, for countries when we are not ready to deliver a decision. But we want to deliver a decision, <laughs> so without delivering decision, we are actually saying something that can be interpreted in so many different ways by so many different people. But at the same time, uh, if you put it in comparative terms with previous texts, then you see the progress. Then you mm. see the willingness on the side of member states to actually give it dynamics to the whole process. And, uh, 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 give a chance to Warsaw if the political decision is, is, uh, will be there and if the time will be right uh, to, to have that political decision. So uh, having um, MAP as a next step, as it was uh, all the time since 2008, was creating that roadblock because there was a very clear statement saying that first you need to get a MAP and then have some time for that membership action plan to be implemented. And only after that you can get invited to NATO. Now the text says that MAP is an integral part of the political process. So you don't really need to have MAP awarded first and then this sitting in a waiting room for another step to come, which is the invitation. Now this is all part of one package when it all can be done together. At the same time, you know, the whole fear of uh, uh, map being used as a, or seen as a uh, um, intriguing or uh, whatever provoking uh, uh, step on the side of NATO um, and then by that giving time to Kremlin from the moment when map has averting to the time when we are actually becoming members as a time slot and an open invitation for its actions uh, against Georgia and sorting out things, uh, that's also gone. Because if, again, if political decision is there, then you don't need to have that waiting period anymore and you don't need to be put in that waiting room for that. So there is a clear progress on that as well. 
But at the same time, on top of all of that, that we are most proud of from this text is obviously that it text very clearly twice actually in this document says that Georgia already has all the necessary instruments for the preparation to membership. And that's again first time that we were told that we are actually in the preparation for membership, which never was said before. So in this very um, diplomatic language of crafting sentences um, uh, and, uh, and the, putting it in the mildest way possible, uh, you see the desire, you see the willingness on the side of member states that they actually are with Georgia on that and they want to work together with Georgia uh, for uh, better security, for the deterrence policy that is probably most important today when we talk about Georgia, and for actually creating the conditions when once the political um, uh, cards will be placed in a positive way for Georgia, that decision will, will be very easy to be, to be made because there, is a, there are concrete benchmarks. SNGP is put as, a, as one of those benchmarks that success in uh, NATO-Georgia package uh, will be um, preconditioned for the eventual membership. So it's all there. Now it's uh, uh, together with the political decision to be made by member states. It's also about Georgia to show visible, clear, tangible, uh, uh, progress on the implementation of the package uh, as a matter of our commitment to the to the goals that we've set out for ourselves. Well, I thank you for that translation of that ministerial statement. I, I'm going to uh, ask you My to do that for the defense ministerial. <laughs> diplomat is better in explaining well, it, and he kept job. explaining it to me and convinced me at the end of the day. Well, so. I could monopolize you, but I will not. Uh, let's turn to our audience. Uh, and if uh, what I'd like everyone to do is please identify yourself and your affiliation. Sometimes those microphones are a little hard to hear, so you're going to have to speak very clearly. We'd like to bundle a few questions, sure. if that's okay, because we have about 10 minutes or so, and then we'll have you respond back. So I saw a couple of hands, so we'll begin in the back, and we'll just come up the row, Caius, so. Hi, Alan Maggard, CSIS. Um, you talked about the Black Sea and the militarization that's going on there. We also have the November 24th shoot down of the plane uh, over the border in Turkey. Um, on the other side, in the Caspian, we have Russian ships from the Caspian flotilla launching cruise missiles. Baku is seeing that. Ankara is obviously very aware of its own standing with regards to Russia as of late. How does Tbilisi, given the importance of the Azerbaijan, Georgia, Turkey trilateral within the southern gas corridor, how does it see itself um, going forward in terms of ensuring regional stability and security? Thank you. And just to put a two finger on that, a lot of pressure on Azerbaijan right now on uh, Russia. And I'd like to understand how that's impacting. Guys, if we can just go right in the middle and we'll stay between the two. You can just share the microphone. Yes, sir, please. Thanks. Aaron Mehta with Defense News. I was wondering if you could speak broadly about whether you believe the US is doing enough Czech Russian aggression in Europe and specifically about if there's any equipment or technology that you'd like to see transferred or sold to Georgia to allow it to protect its own borders. Thank you, Ms. Pastelin. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your comments, Minister Alex Milikishvili, IHS. Uh, um, they were very informative. I have two questions. Uh, one of them has to do with the, um, the message that was sent by the alliance to Georgia. Just help us understand it a bit better. 
because uh, if, as the Georgian government uh, claims, uh, the, all the preconditions for the membership that are embedded in the membership action plan are actually already fulfilled by Georgia, then what would be the outcome of the uh, summit uh, in Warsaw? And of course, related to this, uh, I cannot not ask you this, now, as you very well know, that there are uh, fairly high expectations in Georgian public with regard to the outcome of the NATO summit in Warsaw, and how do you see this play out in terms of the impact on the parliamentary elections in October? Um, and uh, one question that uh, I have for you with regard to the situation along the ABL, which you described in some detail, um, uh, anyone who is even remotely familiar with the situation along the ABL knows that uh, um, the security functions there are performed by the Ministry of Internal Affairs. Sporadically, and this doesn't prevent the abduction of people in any case. Um, do you uh, uh, intend to uh, uh, increase the profile of your ministry with regard to security situation along the ABL? Thank you very much. Thank you. Kais, we'll just come right up here, and I'm going to just take those two right here. Thank you. Hope, hope you have an extra paper here. <laughs> Go ahead, please. Thank, um, thank you. My name is Rob Judson with Griffin Capital. Um, I was in Tbilisi a couple of months ago, and uh, during that time, there was also the Silk Road yeah. Forum, and um, there were some very interesting um, announcements that were made specifically about Gazprom's. Um, <laughs> overtures, and I, we'd, I think we'd all be interested in your guidance on what to make of that, if, if it's business as usual, or is it something more threatening? Thank you. And sir, you just pass that right to your colleague right there. Thank you. Hi, Mr. John Hudson with Foreign Policy Magazine. Um, you've never been a big fan of uh, former President uh, Saakashvili. Uh, what do you think of him being stripped of his citizenship last week? Sir, if you could just pass that right over there, and that will be our last question, and you've got five minutes to wrap yeah, it up. Okay. <laughs> what an impossible task I've given you. Yes, I'll keep it quick then. Um, my <laughs> name is Caitlin Walker. I'm a student at Georgetown University, and I've also interned at the Georgian Foundation for Strategic and International Studies. I'm interested, should Georgia join NATO, how Article 5 would apply to the, um, the breakaway territories, as it's and it's contested who, who actually controls these regions. Thank you. You can hand your microphone right there. Boy, I should have warned you, CSIS audiences are really tough questioners. So you've got a lot to choose from, <laughs> yeah. please. Uh, well, um, I'll try to, to address to all of them in, in five minutes <laughs> yeah. that I have. We'll give you a couple extra. Maybe the audience will indulge us. Um, as for uh, Azerbaijan and uh, Caspian, uh, the whole Caspian issue, well, um, I don't know, uh, I don't have a direct answer to this question, how do we deal with the security um, in the region, because there is, uh, it's a very, it's a subject of a long discussion and there are so many nuances to it, but uh, we are trying to be uh, as um, uh, connected to each other as, as possible, to be on, on a basically daily communication. We are having a trilateral um, meeting next week, actually, in um, Istanbul between uh, Georgia, Azerbaijan, and uh, uh, Turkish uh, ministries of defense. I'm, I was in Baku just three days ago um, uh, talking exactly about the problems and challenges we face together and the uh, possibilities for even stronger cooperation and even stronger ties uh, amongst the three in order to address those um, 
challenges in a more uh, coordinated way. Uh, I, uh, I think that the key word here is exactly a stronger coordination. So as much as we communicate and as much as we manage to have um, joint efforts uh, confronting uh, those problems, it will be easier for us to find solutions and at least not to get engaged in something that will be uh, dramatic uh, at the end of the day. Um, I do believe that if there is any country in the world who uh, does um, the most for at least my country, I'm not going to talk about the others, that will be the United States. Whatever um, uh, complaints I might have uh, or whatever dissatisfied, as much as dissatisfied I might be with this action or that decision or lack of this action or the other decision, if there is any country out there in the world who is always there, that will be United States. Uh, and that's true, that's the reality. Probably that's the reason why we have most of the complaints about the United States, because they, we expect even more. Uh, but again, this is something that needs to be said very clearly and without any um, doubts about it. I, uh, um, as for the equipment and prepositioning, yes, we would love to see more. Uh, and I hope that we will see more in, a, in the near future, because uh, uh, the, uh, this partnership uh, means a lot for all of us, and uh, this partnership and the deterrence power that the partners should have is something that is probably on top of everybody's agenda today. Um, the, um, uh, well, I think that I won't go on with the NATO uh, um, uh, messaging towards Georgia because we spoke a lot about it. Um, I know that there, there there are lots of questions to be asked more, but uh, again, that's something that we can talk. I can personally talk over and over again for hours, but uh, and it's kind of never-ending process. Expectation from Warsaw, I, um, I'm trying to be as balanced as possible because the worst thing that can happen is uh, to Georgia is something that happened in 2008 when expectations were, were raised so high uh, that uh, then the uh, decision in Bucharest, which actually gave the, uh, okay, we were all expecting MEP, but we've got um, promise of membership, which is probably not less important than uh, giving MEP at that moment. Uh, but promise of membership together with MEP would have been ideal, <laughs> and actually membership would have been ideal, but uh, we don't live in an ideal world, and we live actually in a very cynical world. So understanding that um, the, uh, uh, we are trying to do our best to manage those expectations. We are trying to do two things. First, that our public knows and we have a full communication with the society that its government is trying its best to push it as hard as possible to try to break those walls that are standing in between Georgia and NATO and that we are not compromising on anything. But at the same time, we don't tell to the people that we are gonna get there and we are gonna get membership in Warsaw because, well, Hopefully we will, but we don't want to <coughs> speculate on something that is of an existential, uh, has an existential um, meaning and is an existential issue for, for the people in Georgia. It, the Warsaw is, will affect the results of the elections, no doubt about it. But I think over the years, Georgians become very realistic about the uh, chances we have and about the uh, politics and geopolitics and they are not as naive as, as they were 20 years ago. Uh, so I don't expect that uh, non-deliverable, for example, in the worst case scenario, completely non-deliverable Warsaw will change the political um, uh, setup in a country dramatically. 
But uh, I also expect that we will have first time, uh, we will elect the parliament where you will have official pro-Kremlin politics heard from the parliamentary podium. It never was the case before. In parliament, we always had political parties for all these 25 years uh, who had the same vision on the Georgia's foreign policy. Uh, we were fighting on everything else, but not about the foreign policy. And that will be the first time after 2016 October elections then that we will have other voices also heard in parliament, but also part of democracy. So uh, we see the results in today's French election. So no surprises there. Uh, and that's okay, that's fine. As long as they stay marginal, as marginal as they are today, that's, that also helps and serves as a wake up call or um, uh, the uh, cold shower for all of us. So we should remember that it's there and that elephant is in our room also sometimes, not just uh, in other rooms that we complain about. The uh, Gazprom, and I really wanna answer that question because there was lots of speculation about it at that time. It's a very, uh, it, this, the negotiations we had with Gazprom was no different from any other negotiation. We have exactly the same time, exactly the same rooms every year. We renegotiate the deal with Gazprom every single year uh, since the breakup of the Soviet Union because every contract was for one year. Georgia has a pipeline, part of the pipeline, which crosses the country and by which Gazprom delivers gas from Russia to Armenia. And uh, Georgia gets free gas as a uh, part of the deal, uh, as a percentage of, of the deal. Um, so the Russia is increasing gas supply for Armenia and we were renegotiating new terms as to the percentage. And again, we do it every single year since the day of independence because they never, we never had a longer contract with Gazprom than one year. So that was a very typical negotiation because of the increase of the gas supply to Armenia. Our percentage obviously meant more free gas for Georgia that Gazprom did not want to give up so easily and they were asking for renegotiating the whole percentage issue but uh, the, the government's position was pretty strict on that. Um, I never was fan of Saakashvili, that is true, but we were uh, standing on the same uh, side of the uh, barricades uh, in 2003 during the Rose Revolution. If there was anybody who was outspoken and on top of uh, Rose Revolution, that will be my party uh, more than Saakashvili's party at that time, actually, if we talk about the party set up in a country. So we were partners at one point. We came to power together in 2001 after winning the local elections and then in 2003 after the Rose Revolution. But yeah, after that, we, our, our um, uh, roads never crossed and we split uh, for, because of many reasons. I won't miss them now. Uh, uh, they are pretty uh, much known to everybody who is interested in Georgia. Uh, I think Saakashvili uh, committed a political suicide last time. He kept doing it over and over again, but the last one was when he gave up on Georgia's citizenship, became governor of a different country, and gave an interview where he said that that was the most honorable job he ever had. That guy was twice, served twice as a president of a country. And he said being a governor of Odessa is the most honorable job he ever had. I think he answered all the questions by that. And he, he committed the final political suicide that is equal to political death for him. Uh, uh, I think, I, uh, at least I hope for that, that the Georgian people 
do not have any questions and any doubts about him anymore after that. And uh, he uh, uh, is not citizen of Georgia anymore. Uh, from the moment uh, he accepted Ukrainian citizenship because this is the constitution as it is and as it was written by him actually, not anybody else. Um, that's the setup he gave to the country and now he was trapped by the setup he created himself uh, for the other people. Uh, I think uh, I've answered all the questions. I'm sorry? Oh, oh, on the, uh, uh, yeah, the, the uh, hypothetical yes, hypothetical um, Article 5 article over five and Kazi and Yeah, uh, territories. I have a um, uh, long and short answer to it, but the short answer will be uh, we talk about uh, situation today in Georgia as it was years back with Germany. At that time, uh, when Germany was admitted to NATO, nobody said that we are not going to do it because of GDR. That's exactly the answer we give today. Uh, the uh, uh, Abkhazia and South Ossetia are uh, not frozen conflicts. They are occupied territories. They are territories that, were, that are recognized as independent states by Russia, by which Russia basically unfroze those conflicts. Because by that statement, by admitting them or accepting them as independent states, they basically said that war times are over and those are independent states. And Georgia has declared unilaterally many times that we are not planning um, uh, a war against our own citizens, either in Abkhazia or South Ossetia. Um, so this is a typical occupation, uh, exactly the same as it was with, uh, uh, with uh, GDR at that time. Uh, and Germany was accepted into, the, into NATO as well as everywhere else. And then they wait, everybody waited for that political moment when the unification came. And I'm pretty sure that it's exactly the scenario that will work with Georgia. Georgia will become member of NATO. Well, it, if, if Abkhazia and South Ossetia and territorial integrity of Georgia is restored tomorrow, of course, that's the base case scenario. I don't expect that from happening. But I do believe that in my lifetime, it will be happening as well and uh, the country will be unified at the end of the day. But uh, the Georgia's integration into NATO and European Union will happen before that probably. And we will go together with Abkhaz and Ossetians to, to Europe uh, as a logical, most rational choice uh, of your way of life rather than choosing to live with Kremlin uh, in whatever conspiracy that they are doing in there uh, against the independent and sovereign states and nations. Well, I think we will end on that hopeful, yes. optimistic uh, vision. My only regret, looking at the hour, we should have had two nice glasses of Georgian wine sitting that on would have this been table. Nice. <laughs> and we would have had a great conversation. What a privilege. What a delight. And I know I share with the audience, thank the minister for a wonderful discussion. Thank you very much.